Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Stein, welcome to the podcast. Fantastic to uh, have you along and uh, really exciting to talk to you about um, this new organization that you're now heading up, at least in Australia. Why don't we just start with um, why don't, sharing your current professional responsibilities, please? Sure, Richard. Yeah, nice to be here uh, today. Um, yeah, so my, my role is uh, CEO of Bampu Energy Australia, um, a new entity, like you said, being set up in, in Australia. And I've uh, joined earlier in this year to, to head us into um, and the bright future of renewable energy. Fantastic. And where is the, uh, the organization head office? Here in Australia, it's on Market Street in Sydney. Oh, sorry. And, and the parent company? Yeah. So we're the Australian arm of, of Bampu uh, PCL, which is based in Bangkok in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just maybe a couple of minutes on, on that broader organization, if you, if you like. That'd be great. Um, yeah, so 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 Bampu is it's got its roots really in the energy resources uh, and mining uh, sector. Um, started off in Thailand as a family organization, is now one of the largest um, listed companies on the Thailand Stock Exchange uh, with some you know, twelve billion assets under management or so, um, and it's got operations in some, uh, I guess, ten countries globally, including a lot of Asian countries, of course, um, but also the US and Australia. And what is interesting and, and why I've been attracted to, to this role is, is really that they've been on a bit of a path of transition or reinventing themselves um, alongside of the energy transition that's currently ongoing. And, mm-hmm. and so whilst they originated in that kind of energy resources sector, the, a lot of their activities and focus and growth over the, certainly the past you know, five years or so has been targeted towards renewable energy and energy technology. Mm-hmm. And so Bampu Energy Australia is really the latest in their initiatives to really push that agenda. And so were you brought in right at the outset of them deciding to operate here or was the business already in place to some degree before you joined? Yeah, the, the business was incorporated end of last year. Um, I, I joined beginning of this year, so I'm really there at the outset of this business. I'm the, the first employee, uh, mm-hmm. so to say. Um, that doesn't mean that some of the ideas or initiatives weren't already being explored beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so here in Australia, uh, Bampu owns Centennial Coal, uh, a large coal mining company, uh, which I, I believe supplies about 40% or so of the coal for coal-fired generation in New South Wales, so quite a large player. Um, and on top of that has coal exports as well. And um, together with the uh, some of the, the Bampu colleagues, I guess, in, in, in Bangkok, Centennial has been thinking a little bit about 
initiatives like energy efficiency, um, some behind the meter, uh, solar generation. Uh, so there has been a, a number of initiatives and they've worked on a pumped hydro uh, projects, which I can tell you a little bit more about later if you want. Um, so that there had been a number of initiatives, but really Bampu Energy Australia is building on those or starting with those, you know, really kind of seed initiatives and, um, and, and building that really on, on into a big um, yeah, energy strategy and energy vision uh, that, that takes that uh, way beyond where the current um, mm -hmm. activities were. And how long ago had they acquired Centennial? Ooh, uh, it's it. 2010 or so. Oh, I, okay. I, I don't. I don't really know exactly the date, but right. a while ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, so. fantastic. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I'm certainly very keen to come back and and learn a lot more about the business and and the the mandate for your role and the vision and so on. But why don't we uh, uh, start off by just going back and looking at your early life and career? So tell us uh, a little bit about where you were born and uh, you know uh, early life, mum and dad, brothers and sisters, and then uh, we'll. Let the conversation unroll from there. How does that sound? Sure, happy, happy to do that. Um, so I'm 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 Dutch originally, uh, born in the Netherlands, and um, you know, in a in a family of five, I'm, I'm the middle one. I got an older brother and sister, and a younger brother and sister. Okay, and um, you know, grew up in a relatively small you know village, um, you know. The, 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 yeah, not too much going on, uh, what, really. There. <laughs> what, what sort of work did your parents do? My dad was an was an architect. Okay. Um, and uh, and and my mom really had her hands full with uh, running a large household, but also sure. worked very closely with my dad. Actually, supporting it was a um, his own architectural firm. Mm -hmm. um, so there was plenty of work to do there for for her also to 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 support that and how did you yeah. do you feel that you grew up with that uh middle child syndrome uh or do you uh, how did you have a different experience to that uh, to be honest I, I i've never felt um disadvantaged um maybe even slight advantage of being in the middle because right. i you know was able to fly a little bit below the radar i think and uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> fair enough and when you're at uh, at school what did you uh think you wanted to be when you grew up oh yeah I, I don't know. I still don't know if I know that answer, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, you're in good company. Was, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I think it probably was always clear that it was going to be something in in a in the technical side and mm. you know engineering um maybe a bit of creativity from from kind of my my dad's architectural um experience in there um so you, you, you weren't you weren't inspired to be an architect though yeah look i considered it for sure right. um but ultimately, yeah, probably wasn't really the, the, the real line of business for me, I think. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. And so um, uh, what did you do? You, you went to high school and then I presume off to university. Was that a university local to where you lived or did you travel away for that? 
oh, come on. In the Netherlands, everything is local, right? right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so it wasn't too far, about an hour away or so. Um, okay. And, uh, in Delft, one of the, the recognized um, uh, technical universities. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually initially did a year of um, industrial design, which mm-hmm. is a bit of that combination of, of technical and and, and more creative side of the of the business environment as well. But um, after a year, switched to mechanical engineering. Mm-hmm. And did you have um, uh, did you have part time jobs when you were at uni? I I did yes, um, mostly in, um, in in technology companies early on. You know some you know, fairly general you know what for help desk services or right. big mainframe operations. Um, you know pretty decent jobs. Um, uh, for the time, so uh, yeah, I was, I was well set up. Uh, I oh, think. That's that's great. And so, um, once you finished your university degree, uh, was uh, Shell your first employer, or were you? Did you have other employers before that? Yeah, Shell was was my first employer. Yeah, um, so that was look a great opportunity um, to join in in large international company and go and see the world and um and it was quite uh, i was actually a little bit disappointed that the first job within shell because they do a bit of a rotational program for the first few mm-hmm. years the first job i was offered was in the north of the netherlands yeah. <laughs> so i uh, i i immediately had a had a uh, had to have a big discussion with the uh, the HR department there, that that's not the reason why I joined Shell and I wanted right. to see the world. So um, I managed to get my posting turned around and end up in the UK, which, you know, still mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily the other side of the world, but it mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, uh, sufficiently international to, uh, to to take on that opportunity. So so I moved to the UK after after uni and um, I spent about uh, two and a half years there or so. Um, working on some of the oil and gas rigs in the North Sea. Uh, okay. So, so yeah, very exciting time. Yeah, you know, right. quite hands-on. Um, yeah, you know, getting experience with with uh, you know, how that all operates, how that all works. Um, and and then uh, off to Malaysia, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So there was, uh, you know, again, you know, I never lost that that push to want to, you know, get that international experience and uh, and normally shell postings were about four years but after two and a half you know so there was a gap in in malaysia so pushed mm-hmm. quite hard and got an opportunity to move there in borneo so east malaysia which was uh, very very interesting um it was a yeah a small town miri uh, mostly driven by oil and gas companies at the time and mm-hmm. uh, shell had had a compound there where I was um, set up, um, yeah, and um, yeah, didn't didn't work offshore as much, more onshore um, operations, but uh, still very, you know, very interesting area, and and a great country to live. By the way, uh, right. had some fantastic memories. Mm-hmm. Travelled the region a lot. Uh, one of the nice things about uh, Shell at the time in Malaysia is that there were. Um, 
you know, all the all the religious holidays were being given as public holidays, and because Malaysia is such a melting pot of religions, um, I think I counted them once. We had some like twenty public holidays, and then another twenty-five, you know, uh, personal holidays. So there was a lot of holiday and travel going on. Oh, did, did, <laughs> did you get to uh, hang out with the orangutans? Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, 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 we yeah, did. Um, a lot of diving, of course. Yeah. I met my wife there, which, which was great. Uh, she's English. She uh, was working for Shell at the time as well. Um, uh-huh. and so, uh, yeah. And, and well, inter-office romance. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the best thing I think about Malaysia is you get to eat curry for breakfast. Uh, Roti Chanai. Uh, uh, love it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I I was I was firmly in the in the three day three times per day eating out you know for virtually nothing um, right yeah yeah loved it yeah so if anybody has not experienced Roti Chennai let me tell you it is a, it's a taste sensation and so then uh, obviously back to Amsterdam with McKinsey correct yes actually I did uh, an MBA um, in between that um, okay. I left Shell. Um, uh, in in Malaysia, mostly because I wanted to uh, to be more commercial, um, and and Shell certainly in that day wasn't necessarily the, the most flexible organization in terms of offering those opportunities. And I joined in the operations um, part of um, EMP exploration and production of the business, and transitioning more towards a commercial role was very challenging. And you know. It took a little bit long, you know. I was, you know, I was, I was impatient at the time, you know, wanting to move quick and and do things, and uh, in the end, decided it was uh, was better suited to go and do an MBA. So I went to INSEAD in um, in mm-hmm. France in Fontainebleau, which is a fantastic year. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Made some fantastic friends, um, and uh, and got experience in a number of disciplines I hadn't really gotten experience in before. So that was useful, and got the opportunity through through that. Yeah, I met, uh, met um, the, the McKinsey people from Amsterdam and uh, and joined McKinsey there. So again, um, <laughs> the the first the first um, project they gave me was um, Shell. <laughs> in, in Amsterdam, <laughs> which again I kind of said, look, you know, I, I would love to do something else in energy for a bit, just to see. Now I love uh, the energy sector, mm-hmm. um, but just to see whether there was something else. So I did a bit of finance, did a bit of media, and I think after about nine months, I said, now put me on energy. That's definitely my gig. I, I love, um, you know, everything about it. Um, I think at, at the time it was much more of a of an of a niche interest than than it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, these days you can have a have a good discussion about energy um, uh, around a barbecue. That certainly wasn't the case back then. I was right. probably one of the few people that thought energy energy was interesting. But uh, yeah, if, uh, I've never looked back. I've been in energy ever since. Yeah. And, and how did you enjoy? I mean, obviously you're working for. Uh... Uh, an owner producer and then going and working in a consulting environment, but not just a consulting environment, probably one of the most hardcore consulting environments in the world (laughs) being McKinsey. How how did you find um, that transition? Did you enjoy the consulting element? I mean, obviously not enough because you returned back into (laughs) the energy sector, but you were there for six years, right? So uh, 
you know, there must have been some elements of it that you enjoyed. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and, and like I said, like consulting probably isn't really my passion, um, but what I absolutely loved about it was the people that I was working with and the whole um, dynamic and, and motivation and drive that people have. And, and you know, there's smart people there, of course. And so, you know, every day you know, you're being challenged uh, to the maximum in, in giving your best and, and stretching your own thinking. And, uh, and I, I thought that was great. And the opportunities um, that it gave me to see you know, different companies work on on ranges of of challenges and opportunities was was very exciting. So, mm. it, um, yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, through that, I kind of uh, transitioned a little bit towards kind of the energy trading and electricity uh, markets um, at, at McKinsey. It was yeah that time when the European um, energy markets were liberalizing. And, and opening up and a lot of the the large energy companies which you imagine you know because we were serving uh, were, were struggling with uh, how to manage um, volume and price risk that they were all of a sudden exposed to up to then they really had always been selling on long-term fixed price contracts now they were all of a sudden needing to sell at market-based prices and uh, and so worked with a lot of um, organizations there to set up their trading and risk management businesses, which was a, a tremendous time um, mm-hmm. of, of change for, for, for Europe uh, mm-hmm. broadly. Um, uh, and so what uh, inspired you then to move back into, well, what was an energy trading business um, and, uh, and as well as had a move to Switzerland? Yeah, so the the opportunity came along really during one of the projects um, that I was doing for a large Dutch energy company at the time, um, Ascent. Um, they um, were, yeah, as one of the other companies transitioning from a, a relatively straightforward, you know, vertically integrated company to setting up a more professional energy trading and risk management business. And, um, and you know, they, I helped them develop a lot of their, their strategy and um, they asked me to come and, you know, run one of their trading businesses um, or trading desks. Uh-huh. For them. So uh, they, they poached you from the consultant. Essentially. That right. was, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so uh, that was originally in a relatively small town in the Netherlands, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it was uh, you know, a largely Dutch company. Um, we had some leadership in that team from the US that had some, some bigger plans for the business. And together with them, we developed this strategy that um, you know, look, we really wanted to grow the business. And in order to do that, we needed to make some bold um, steps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and part of that was attracting the right people, which uh, we couldn't do in the, in the, in the, in the town and Netherlands that we were at. So okay. the choices were moving the business to London or moving the business to Geneva. London mm-hmm. uh, was very much the financial trading center um, of, of Europe. Geneva was more the commodity trading center. And uh, we, we landed on, on Geneva, partly because we were focusing on commodity, but also because I love to ski. 
and Geneva is much better positioned than London for that. <laughs> so. Very good. And and uh, Stein, I'm just being conscious of time because I, I want to spend a fair bit of uh, uh, this discussion talking about your current role and, and that business. So why don't sure. you sort of talk us through, you know, um, uh, there's been a number of moves and then you moved to Australia. What brought you to Australia and, and some of the things that you've been doing in Australia prior to your current role? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so maybe to round off the, uh, the Geneva experience, um, Ascend was taken over by RWE, um, a very large uh, German-based um, energy company with, with global activities. Um, and I, I ran their, their guest uh, trading and wholesale portfolio um, for, for a while. Um, and, uh, and, and basically, you know, one day I got a call from a headhunter uh, friend of mine um, who I'd been in contact a couple of times with before. And he said he had an opportunity in Australia. Um, a little bit out of the blue. Uh, interestingly, we, we, uh, my wife and I had looked at Australia a, a while back, um, but not pursued it very much. And so when this call came, it definitely perked our interest. And, um, you know, uh, quite a few phone calls and, and interviews later, I found myself in, in Sydney working mm -hmm. for Alinta Energy. Um, and so they brought me in mostly to, to you know, professionalize and uh, extend the capability of their trading and wholesale activities and their analytics uh, part of the business ahead of a, a planned IPO. Um, that you know, experience probably turned out a little bit different than originally envisaged, you know, partly because the IPO didn't go ahead and end up in, an, in a straight sale, strategic sale to a, a buyer, but also the the trading mandate was uh, significantly curtailed. You know, if you, you know, just change in, in direction and strategy, I think, along the way um, as these things go. And... Um, and then I found myself back in consulting. Uh, mm -hmm. Joined uh, PW, PwC here in Australia to to lead their um, energy uh, business and and grow that substantially. And um, yeah, that was a, a great experience to, I guess, broaden a little bit my perspective on the on the sector and the industry um, and. Uh, transition also my capability and focus towards the renewable sector. Um, which you know it started to to blossom and boom, of course, um, and it's something that um, I already had some experience in um, back in uh, back in Europe, um, where I worked on some renewable funds and um, and some opportunities in the emissions trading and and, and biomass, but uh, but really within PBC, I got that um, much broader exposure and uh, and ability to work in that space. Mm -hmm. um, um, and it's interesting because uh, I, I I coach a lot of senior executives about their job search and so on, and and uh, it's quite common for somebody to be in a corporate environment, and then either through the choice or through redundancy, um, go out into consulting, and then they either really love consulting and they stay in consulting, or they miss the opportunity of going back into having a leadership role where they can actually deliver rather than just advise. You know, they want to actually have responsibility for delivering and be part of a senior executive team. So, so quite often people will say, well, actually, I'll go back into a, a corporate 
right? In your situation, you were in corporate, then you went into consulting, then you went back to corporate, then you went back to consulting, and now you've gone back to corporate again. <laughs> so uh, I think it's fantastic because uh, it just shows, you know, that we're not limited, you know. You you have opportunities to make choice and go back and doing different things. And so um, PwC there for essentially four years and then, um, and then now or with a short break in between, uh, now CEO of Banpu. So how, how, yeah. did that, how did that role come up on your radar? Yeah, it's CEO of Banpu Energy Australia, by the way. It's oh, not sorry. quite okay. the, the overall Banpu. <laughs> but is, that's, there, uh, is, there anywhere not... else, is there anywhere else in the world other than Australia, Stein? Yeah, <laughs> it sometimes doesn't feel like that here. Yeah, um, we it actually you know started off with a uh, some very good discussions with the Bamboo team um, probably a year prior in um, uh, here in Sydney when they were starting to explore some opportunities in renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And they weren't quite sure what form that was going to take at the time. And so um, as, as part of a PwC team, we organized a couple of days, workshops, basically, um, of previewing some strategic opportunities with them and areas where they could head. And they struck up quite a good relationship with um, the senior Bampu um, lead of that team. And... Um, I ended up calling him. One thing we we kind of missed out. I I did you know lead PwC to set up my own advisory business in okay. the in the meantime, um, which uh, which turned out to be a, a shorter um, gig than expected. But what, the interesting thing that had happened as part of that, when I set that up and went through the old kind of Rolodex or digital equivalent of that, and uh, and the up calling my, my Bampu contact about um, that I'd started for myself. He basically told me that, you know, my timing was terrible because um, they had just made the decision to set up this company here in Australia and were far advanced with the recruitment process of the CEO. And I said, look, you know, no hard feelings. You know, let me know if there's a project that I can help you with. Um, but interestingly, a couple of weeks later, he called me and said, look, that um, discussion fell through. Mm -hmm. And was I interested in the actual CEO role? Um, and, um, you yeah, the rest is history, so to say. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, very good. <laughs> and so, Stone, when you uh, took the role, um you know, three months, four months ago. Well, what was the mandate? So welcome to the, the team as CEO of Bampu Energy Australia. We want you to, what have you been engaged to deliver? Yeah, um, it's it's broad, right? Um, I can, you know, basically carve it out myself, um, but but ultimately it is a to establish a, a sizable, uh, whatever that means, you know, call it a gigawatt, um, of, of generation or, or assets um, um, uh, in renewables. Mm -hmm. That's very clear, right? um, but not limited to assets only. It is intended to include um, trading, wholesale, uh, retail, very strong push towards technology, 
Um, so it, uh, it's clear, you know, we want to be operating um, with very significant or um, sophisticated uh, technological uh, backbone, um, whether that be in our trading space, in our um, retail and, and energy solution space, or uh, VPP type solutions, putting those in the markets. And, um, and so the way I look at it, it is an entire value chain uh, proposition. Um, how, how fast each of the, of the legs of that value chain is going to develop depends a little bit on market opportunity, but also very much on you know, finding the right people, the right time, and the right commercial opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastic. And uh, you, given that this is your first true CEO gig, when you were considering uh, stepping in, was there any introspection? Uh, said, okay, well, if I'm going to, you know, really make a success of this role, uh, there are certain, I need to upskill in certain areas or perhaps, you know, take on some coaching or mentoring or did you feel fully prepared for it? Yeah, look, as prepared as you can be, um, I would say. You know, there's a lot of uh, aspects of the role I'm, I'm very comfortable with, um, both from the, the strategy side, from the commercial perspective, from the, the people management side. Um, but ultimately, I guess the, the one reflection I had, I still have, right, is, is you, know, you know, getting the right people in the right positions to be able to deliver. Um, and clearly, you know, it's not something I can do by myself. And, uh, and it, yeah, that's, to be frank, you know, still a little bit of a daunting process. I, you know, I have the, the luxury that I have a seconded team currently from uh, our, our sister company here in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not necessarily energy experts, but they know the centennial business well, and they've made some decent inroads. So, you know, it, whilst I'm the, the first and, and only real employee of the company, I'm, I'm not here by myself, um, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, growing that team in the right directions um, within the amount of time required and delivering the commercial initiatives and setting up the backbone of the company, obviously, all at the same time is, is definitely uh, a, a challenge. So, mm. um, and, and how have you found uh, through your career, obviously working not only in uh, many different locations around the world, but working for organisations, you know, that are owned by di- different nationalities and different cultures, uh, you know, and now uh, working for a company that's, you know, uh, owned by uh, uh, a Thailand-based uh, head office. How have you navigated the obvious um, differences in culture and communication uh, that have been required through your career to make a success of all of that? Yeah, look, it, it, that's a great question. And I, I must admit, it's probably not something that I've kind of formally or had any courses or education on. It's it's almost a little bit through osmosis, mm-hmm. right? working in these different organizations and, and figuring out how they work and how people interact, how people make decisions um, and how to you know get the best out of people. Uh, that you work with in those organizations. And certainly, um, you know, I've experienced a lot of different cultures and 
you know, outside in, you may think Europe is the same, but, you know, working in the Netherlands versus the UK versus Switzerland and Germany, huge, huge different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that they operate and make decisions. And then Malaysia and, and Australia as well. Like a lot of people say Australia is very much like Europe or UK. And, and in some ways it is, but there's so many ways I can give you examples of that it isn't. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, and just being sensitive to those kind of things um, helps. One of the things that I'm, I'm, to be honest, you know, struggling with a little bit now is obviously due to COVID travel restrictions. I haven't been to Thailand, mm -hmm. right? So all my interactions so far with the with the team in Thailand um, and the senior leaders in the business have been through video conference, mm -hmm. and it's just not the same um, trying to to really connect with them. And, um, you know, it's, it's working from a, from a practical point of view, but uh, yeah, the, the, the kind of the sensitivities I, I get, you know, the, um, <laughs> I've, I've learned to adjust, I think my, my, my personal style, uh, you know, for, being Dutch originally, you know, we, we prefer very direct communication and decision making. That's not necessarily the, 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 the Thai style or, um, and, and that's fine. But being able to talk about those things face to face is quite different from mm. doing it over a video conference. So that's, that's, you know, probably more challenging than it would have otherwise been. And are you hopeful that uh, you'll get to Thailand this year? I'd, I'd have to say it's probably unlikely, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly hopeful. Um, right. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely go at the first opportunity. Um, yeah. And uh, we were we were having a chat on Champions Forum this morning about the fact that many people are working from home, let alone in different geographies. And uh, whilst productivity is high. Uh, the the cultural being able to get in front of somebody and you know mm. have that conversation over the water cooler and um uh is so important and and I, you know i said i don't think it's going to be very long before we are all sitting with our vr goggles on and <laughs> so you are actually there virtually but yeah, my uh my kids i just bought them one of these oculus uh vr headsets uh, absolutely fantastic and and um because they I don't see this situation changing, um, at least mm. not not in any time soon. Um, so there, there's going to be some substantive technology shifts um, uh, because otherwise this sense of isolation is just going to, you know, get worse and worse. And so it must be a really exciting time for you too. I mean, I was just watching, for example, uh, on the news this week where the federal government in Australia is saying we must have gas um, powered, um, uh, gas power stations oh. and mm -hmm. the state governments are going, no, 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 we don't want that. And in fact, we, we, you know, this seems to be a big pushback against the federal government mm. So sitting there in this space of developing clean energy technology. And so you must be rubbing your hands with excitement. Ah, oh, like I am very excited and I'm also very, very bullish at renewable energy, um, to be honest. It's, and the one frustration I probably have is, is about that, um, yeah, the, the support from federal government here in Australia is, is not to the extent uh, that I would like to see it. Um, Australia could be a complete 
you know, global leader if we wanted to be and, and really you know, put our hands together and, and all push in the same direction. Now, having said that, the fact that federal government isn't you know, fully on board, the interesting thing about it is exactly what you say is that the states and business for that matter mm-hmm. uh, is, is almost taking rights in their own hand and saying, look, we're going to do this with, with or without you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so it is gonna it's gonna continue and it's gonna continue to accelerate, you know, beyond what what anyone is expecting today and mm-hmm. has been to be honest. Um, you know, every year new updated forecasts coming out and, and we find ourselves you know continuously in the in the in the highest um, or the most accelerated scenario that anyone could have thought of. You know two years prior, right? And um, and being part of that mm. and helping to drive that is, uh, I think, is a very, very exciting space. And and so this is why I'm also quite excited about the opportunity that Bampu has given um, me to, to create that mandate as broad as we have. Because mm. one of the things that I think is really missing um, in this sector, in this industry, is that integrated perspective across the whole of the value chain of the whole of the market, so to say. Um, we see, you know, capital being pumped into renewable assets, uh, which is great. Um, we see new retailers or retailers and, and new startup retailers, you know, developing customer propositions that are you know, more flexible and, and, and more dynamic, which is great. But there's very few that, you know, tie it all together into a, a, a single well-operating um, organization that has the end-to-end perspective of both the market and the customer and the asset together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's necessary um, to be able to ensure the development of that market isn't going to go off the rails. People need to, to understand that all elements of that market um, are important. And I think it's important for, for value creation as well, you know, getting maxima, maximum value out of your assets and giving uh, customers the best um, proposition and, uh, and value for money. So um, I, I think really uh, that's ultimately you know, the vision that I have for this business. It is, it is more than just being an energy company. It's being a real enabler, enabler of, that, um, of that transition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so when you look out to the future for the clean energy uh, sector um, in Australia and also in terms of your own career, you know, what are you most excited about? Oh, about all of it, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, if you're, if you spend your life in the energy sector, like I have, the, the amount of change that, you know, the, that we've seen happen in the last five years um, has been astonishing. And the thing that, you know, I'm excited about is that that's all only the bottom of the the upswing. You know, we're really only starting uh, the amount of change that's going to happen in the next five to ten years in that space. It is going to happen and needs to happen. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and and I 
often get asked questions about, you know, uh, certainly you can't believe that we can, you know, uh, have a hundred percent renewable energy market. You know, the technologies that we have aren't suited to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm not so um, uh, concerned about that, to be honest. Uh, my, my fundamental belief is that we, we need to get there. And if we make a real push to head in that direction, the challenges that we'll find along the way, we'll find, we'll find solutions for. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't need to have all the answers now. There's, there's a reasonable visibility that we can operate the current market um, energy system with you know, some 80 to 90% renewable penetration and you know, have some reliance on, on gas and batteries and, and pump hydros for, for flexibility requirements. By the time we're pushing beyond that, you know the the, the value of of closing that gap becomes so significant that investment dollars in in R and D and what have you will drive new um, new technologies that will mm-hmm. close that final gap. Um, yeah, we haven't even spoke about uh, spoken about hydrogen yet, which is a great potential. It's not around the corner, but it, you know, there's so many um, opportunities that we'll see. And and again, you know, in in terms of my 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 personal um, career uh, and 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 the company's prospects, you know, I, w- I want to be part of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. How exciting is that, right? To to be getting into this transition at ground level, right, and riding it to the top, right? That's that's. That's what it's about, right? And and making um, a positive impact on the on the on the world, yeah. You know, in the meantime, yeah. Look, I, I you know, there's certainly a lot to be said for having a job where you feel that you can leave a legacy as as leaving the world in a better place than uh, than perhaps you found it. Uh, certainly, uh, and so you think there's hope for humanity after all. We haven't. <laughs> we, we we're not too far along that it's uh, it's irrecoverable. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should talk about that over a couple of beers. <laughs> yeah, do you, do you do you think we're going to be living on Mars soon? Oh man, that's uh, another. Yeah, that, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> um, yeah, Mar- those kind of questions. I think uh, there there's there's certainly lots of opportunities out there as well. Um, right, and uh, it's probably a little bit beyond my. Uh, Certainly, my professional career to come from that. Well, maybe that'll be next for you. You know, uh, Netherlands, UK, Malaysia, Germany, Australia, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steiner, uh, great conversation today about your professional career, and obviously very excited about the future for Bamboo and so on. Um, just before we wrap it up, because I know that you're a busy man. Um, so, one of the things that you like to do when you're not at work. Uh, what keeps a petrol tank full? I think you were saying to me before we started that you went, uh, you went hiking in a Kosciuszko Park over Easter. Is that something that you and your family like to do? Get out and traipse up and down mountains? Yeah, we do. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily it's it's everyone's favourite activity within the within the family, but we generally get the kids to come along. Um, uh, I, I do like my sports. Um, if I if I um, get the time for it uh obviously having lived in in switzerland you know a very keen uh, skier mm-hmm. um it's probably 
my most favorite sport, but here in Australia, I've had a little opportunity, to be honest, to do it extensively. And so I picked up surfing when I came here uh, okay. to Australia. Oh, good idea. Did you, and, find uh, that, uh, did you find that, you know, the skills you need for skiing translated to surfing fairly easily or was it quite different? Uh, yeah, to some extent, but um, yeah, picking it up at a different age, uh, you know, definitely right. presented some hurdles. Uh, you know, I'm sometimes jealous when you see these young kids, you know, uh, <laughs> not bettering their eyes, just you know, riding the waves, and I'm working hard to catch one. But uh, it's uh, now a really enjoyable uh, activity, and and on our doorstep here, so beautiful. I love being out in the water, and uh, you know really clears the mind for oh, some activities awesome. and, and uh, i think uh it'd be fair to say that hopefully within the next month or so you may be able to travel to new zealand and go skiing there anyway so uh, yeah who knows yeah <laughs> i'll be very excited to uh, to travel abroad again yeah you know, like flying it will be a novelty again that <laughs> which uh, wasn't for for a long time when i did you know weekly flights here and there and everywhere so it's a yeah. It, it, it is funny. I talk to a lot of senior executives and, and there's two camps. One camp like me is, oh, I've so enjoyed not traveling. And, uh, you know, uh, and this has been magnificent. There are others that are so desperate to get back on a plane. Uh, they miss it so much. So uh, uh, you're different horses, different courses, right? Well, Stein, um, uh, again, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciated you uh, taking some time out to have a chat to us. Uh, if anybody's interested in um, learning more about Stein and about Banpoo, we'll have uh, uh, some links and notes uh, on the uh, podcast when it goes up live. But in the meantime, uh, good luck with everything and have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Richard. Very nice talking to you. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Trinks. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO Incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.